Hello, and welcome back to another Forgotten Fantasy podcast, a Gamersological production, and Happy New Year. Let's get back to it. Let's see what happens to our protagonist this time. It's a new year and a new part for Blood Emperor. So, yeah, we're going to get started. We are going to do part four, chapter one and two, and I hope you enjoy it. Chapter one. Anne carried the Halloween decorations down into the hole. Usually, anything to do with the hole belonged to John, but he had disappeared to the shopping mall, and she was on a tidying binge. Anne hummed a popular tune from last night at the Starlight Dance Hall. Her white princess costume with its painful push-up bra, the last rental in the store, had attracted not one guy, but several, who had asked her to dance. She had spent most of the evening with a dark-haired guy from the station tech support. He had arranged to meet her after church at the cafe across from the starlight. Two other fledgling relationships had flared out in the past year, but she struggled to follow Tonchi's long-ago advice to find a nice man. Thoughts of her ugliness nudged, but she reminded herself of the horrid girls at the dance who had men all over them. Maybe third time lucky. John had left the boxes and bags tossed around as if they'd put themselves away. It looked like Andre's princely ways had infected his spouse. Anne frowned. A bulge had appeared in the grey wall above the opening to the crawl space. What's this bump? Anne asked Demeter. Are you getting metal fatigue? Oh no, Demeter said quickly. Andre and John added an upgrade to my, um, defense systems. That's why the stuff's pulled out of the crawl space. They should know better than to think, leave things loose in the hole. Anne shoved the Halloween box into the storage, then continued with the other junk lying about. Her heart lurched. Taunchy's duffel bag sat under a pile of silk bolts. She picked up the bulky sack and opened the top. Taunchy's things filled it, each folded in incense-permeated tissue paper. Anne carried the bag upstairs into the control room. You sure you should be looking through that? Demeter asked. Maybe you better ask Andre first. As if Andre asks when he digs through our stuff, Anne said. She examined the contents. Mother Mary's Bible rested on top of Tonchi's dress uniform. His writing kit lay underneath. She lifted out a scroll and opened it. He had sketched a red bird and one of the dart-shaped predators sitting together on a cherry blossom branch not something that would happen in real life. The raptor would have eaten the bird as soon as looked at it. Anne shivered as if someone had walked over her grave. A premonition? Of what? Taunchy was dead. Too bad her feelings couldn't do something useful, like predict the lottery numbers for more than the usual small amounts. She examined the poem along the side of the picture and wished she could read it. Andre entered the control room and spied the duffel bag. Hey, that's my brother's things! Who said you could look at them? The picture flew out of her hands and over to him. You're always acting like our stuff belongs to you, Anne said. This is all I have of him to remember him by. Nothing remains of our home. His face crumpled. Of anything. I'm sorry. Anne felt sorrier for John than for her actions. Anything set off Andrew Andre's depression. John had hoped the night at the starlight with their old station friends would lift Andre's anniversary grief. It had for the few hours of drinking and laughing, but now Anne spoiled everything. Andre brushed his wet cheeks and stared down at the poem. A prey bird and a prey bird. A pun in your language, but not in ours. An interesting pairing. He was pretty sophisticated. 
The autumn nun invokes peace, and the dart cleans his bloody beak with cherry blossoms. A blooming cherry tree means spring and new beginnings. The nun bird's red like a nun's habit, and its song's a chant. Andre glanced up at Anne. You know who the birds represent, don't you? For the short time he was here, he sure got stuck on you. Take this. The scroll floated back to her. I wish I could have given him something to take with him, Anne said. He wore your sweater, remember? He hadn't had a kindness like that since Ukule. Oh, yes. Anne's tears welled up in sympathy. Great. John appeared behind Andre. He folded his arms across his chest and frowned. Andre gave a great sigh and swallowed his feelings. I found Tonchi's stuff downstairs. It's almost a year, Anne said. Cut Andre some slack. I'm trying to move on, Andre said. John put an arm around Andre's shoulders. Hey, I'm still with you, aren't I? We had some fun last night. Andre sniffed. Yes, makes me feel guilty. Enjoying myself and maybe they're torturing him still. He's at peace with the rest of your family, John said. Pay not an excommunicated. His only way to the afterlife was worshipping Holy Doragon. Andre narrowed his eyes. I hate Aunt Herod. She knew he was going to die, and she took his god from him. So much for any feelings she might have had for him. Poof! A load of crap, John said. That's using religion to make the rest of you toe the line. Tonchi would want you to have a good life, Anne said. Look at what he said to me. I'm trying to get a relationship going. That guy asked you out, John said. So good-looking. I could have sworn he was gay. So that's why your hair's loose. No, he's hetero. I know all about that stuff by now. I'm meeting him after church. Anne blushed. Can't you let St. Michael's go, John said. Use your holographic travel mask. It's not the same, Anne said. They don't miss you, John said, or me. Let me alone. I'm not betraying you by going to church. Anne stalked out of the room. John shrugged. Andre put an arm around his spouse's waist. They both had their pain. Anne hurried into St. Michael's. Usually she hid at the back, but the chairs were full except for a middle seat on the aisle. Euphemia sat next to it. Anne halted by the stoop of holy water and crossed herself, almost as a protection against the church, rather than an obeyance. She clenched her teeth. How could she sit next to the woman who condemned her brother and drove away Mother Mary? Anne sighed. A person wasn't supposed to take communion unless they were in love and harmony with their neighbors. She shouldn't reject her enemy. She should sit next to her. This was so hard. The organ heralded the entrance of the choir and the new male minister. Anne dragged herself down the aisle and plopped into the empty seat. Euphemia's lips pursed. The woman stared ahead with no acknowledgement. Euphemia felt uncomfortable. Anne felt much better. She smoothed down her short boyfriend-attracting skirt and set Euphemia and sent Euphemia a nod and a smile. It was unacknowledged. The service and the sermon stood out in their blandness, an acknowledgment of All Saints' Day, and a brief commemoration of the church members who had died, usually by accident or shipwreck. A few military veterans and police stood up to receive applause for protecting the alliance. Into Anne's mind rushed the, into Anne's mind rushed the agonized, burned face of the March soldier she had killed. She declined to stand or clap, not that anyone noticed or cared. At the end of the service, Anne passed by the church hall refreshments and walked to the table where a young nun sold penny candles, small statues, holy medallions, holographic services, and communion kits. 
I don't need a whole travel box. I just need some blessed wine and wafers, and handed over her money card. The transaction machine beeped, and the nun frowned down at it. I'm sorry you've been declined. That can't be. There's enough money in my account. That's not it. There's a stop. You aren't allowed to buy any items for your own use. I don't understand. We've had reports of people desecrating the mass, so now we have a forbidden list. What? The new priest appeared beside the nun. Trouble here? My purchase was declined, Anne said. He squinted at the debit screen. You're always welcome to attend a service. This is ridiculous. A person's known by the company they keep, Euphemia said from behind Anne. I understand the march of almost recaptured the devil. With his death and the coming Armageddon, sin will soon be swept away from your ship. The priest had the decency to look embarrassed. I can't believe I defended this church before I came here this morning. Tears stung Anne's eyes. She grabbed her card. Anne fled back to the ship. She ran into Andre in the hall. What's the matter? he asked. They cut us off at church. Anne paused and gathered her thoughts away from herself. I have news. Euphemia said the march were about to recapture the devil. Taunchy's still alive? Andre's expression lifted. How could I not know that? You haven't kept up with the goings-ons of the march. I was told to back off the treaty. Andre shrugged. What was the point? Taunchy gone and the military not doing a damn thing with the information he died for. She said Armageddon was coming. They're always saying that. Taunchy alive and free on march. Andre rushed into the control room. Demeter, patch me through to the march feeds. Anne plodded into the lounge and collapsed on the sofa. She pounded the cushions. John looked up from his game. What's the matter? We're not allowed to buy any communion wine or wafers. They said people have abused it. Her face crumbled. No surprise. I thought something had happened on your date. Anne's hands flew to her face. Oh, no, Rob. She jumped up, ran out of the ship, and dashed to the cafe. The Sunday crowd filled the outside tables. No Rob. She slipped inside the restaurant and looked around. He wasn't there. Anne sat down at an outside table and waited. She wasn't too late. Maybe he hadn't come yet. The waiter brought a menu. Coffee, please. I'm waiting for someone, Anne said. She sipped her coffee until it became colder than the waiter's frown at her lack of ordering. Had she missed Rob or had he not turned up? Anne played her, paid her small bill and trudged home. John met her in the hall. Good, you're back. He examined her face. No luck? Anne shook her head. Andre stood behind him. The marcher planning a new attack. He grinned. Demeter unraveled their cipher. All I had to do was ask her. Your rumor was correct. Taunchy's alive, free, somewhere on March. We're off to Menendek. I have to visit Sir Lachesis. The old bat's been sending me predictions for months. He frowned, stopped investigating. What's wrong with me? No hope, John said. Chapter 2 Chapter 2 Vampire beggars held out their hands. The occasional passerby tossed them a coin, careful not to come close to them. Anne winched, pain on like Taunchy. She had emptied her purse by the time she arrived at the entrance to Foreigner's Town. High, smooth plaster walls topped with sharpened stakes surrounded the settlement. Must seem like a huge insult to the natives. The human guards waved Anne through the steel gate and into Foreigner's Town. The shabby vampire behind her hissed when they turned him away. The two moons hung in the sky. Their bright light turned off the street lamps and marked Foreigner's Town with a sharp alien shadows and silhouettes. Glass Salheim wind chimes twinkled 
competed with the dancing plastic skeletons of Halloween. A cold wind ruffled cafe umbrellas. Anne felt glad she had worn a vampire-style padded coat on the trading company. She made her way through streets packed with vampires buying coffee, alcohol, and hostess gifts for various moon-viewing parties and arrived at All Saints of Menendez. Anne walked up the few stone stairs to the open portico. A current of air brought the perfume of panja, eucalyptus, and the jasmine from the tropical garden beyond the portico. To her right, a closed door led to the manse. To the left, the church door stood open to the air. Mother Mary stood at the entrance and greeted the last of the humans exiting the church. Mary gave a cry of delight and enveloped Anne in a big hug. Look at you! Lovely loose curls and that green jacket looks great on you. I love the yellow chrysanthemums. You missed the service. Yes, I'm finished with church, Anne said. Oh, my child, why? Mary asked. The rejection at the space stations tumbled out. Anne wiped away a tear. I know when I'm not wanted. It's the horrible influence of the march. We refuse to let those attitudes creep in here. That's not what the wall around this town says. There's been incidents and disappearances. Blame the vampires. You know I would never do that. Mary glanced around. More like the present government. Vampires that aren't immigrating to Revenant are thinking rebellion. Mary guided her into the garden. A lunch and coffee sat on a trestle table. Mary made Anne fill her plate and introduced her around. I work for the Menendek Trading Company. A young woman pumped her arm. I can't believe I'm meeting Anne Turberville. She glanced around. His Highness here? Andre? Anne shook her head. He and John are visiting headquarters. Wouldn't you know, on my day off, the woman said. I'm Violet. That's my husband over there. He works for the company. The new duties in red tape are making it harder to import Alliance goods, not to mention the new vampire pirates. Did you run into any on your way here? No, they respect Andre. Yes, he's the only decent royal left. His Highness will be pleased at the bottom line. That's why the streets are crowded with vampires, Anne said. Violet laughed. No, it's another general strike. Foreigners Town's the only place vampires can get their last-minute supplies and gifts. The regents dismiss Parliament, and all demonstrations are banned. Only government media. Menendek's in a terrible state. Violet's husband wandered over with a young man about Anne's age. Violet introduced the young man as Gary Jones. They all chatted for a while. You here long? Gary asked. A week or so. Then we're off to explore some, uh, new markets. Anne wasn't about to reveal that Andre intended to head to march with the military behind him. If you're available tomorrow, would you like to go out for dinner? Gary asked. A march spy? Trying to get ahead? Anne stared at him. Or not. Gary examined his coffee cup. Mother Mary raised her eyebrows. Yes, yes I would. Anne remembered herself and smiled. Though I guess here it's really breakfast. We could go out in the morning. Though with the eternal night this time of year, who knows? Gary smiled back. I forgot. It would have been nice to see sunlight. It's been so long, Anne said. There's a reddish glimmer along the horizon at noon. How about then? That would be great. Anne smiled at the easy development of this date. A murmur ran through the garden. People knelt. Andre and John stood in the portico with a few company bodyguards. One of the guards carried several full shopping bags. Andre salaamed. Please rise. Mother Mary hovered over, hurried over to them. Welcome, Your Highness and Mr. Turberville. John nodded without a smile. And we're invited to immune viewing at the Abbey of Cron. Have to go. Plenty of time. Andre knew his duty. 
He moved around the garden, with Mary introducing him to each person. Anne introduced him to Violet, her husband, and Gary. Good work overcoming the economic difficulties at this end, Andre said. Violet looked about ready to burst. Gary's asked me to dinner, well, brunch at noon, Anne said. We should be back by then. A company car driven by a human can bring you back here. She's a good woman. Treat her well. Andre grinned. Anne flushed. The limousine entered the city centre. Andre pointed out the Parliament buildings. A little further on, a boarded-up palace with missing roof tiles sat behind marble walls. Someone had excavated the walls, the marble gone, and the area open to the street. Anne saw glimpses of an overgrown garden. Laundry flapped on the line. My childhood home, Andre said. Murasaki built her own palace in the mountains and let the great castle of the Kuwang and Jiaohao fall to ruin. His voice turned bitter. The place has been stripped. Even the inlays sold to pay for her vices. Wouldn't it belong to you? John said. Kuang Maru, the powerless, owns it. Looks like someone's living there, Anne said. Homeless, whose relatives are Painanian, squatting there. Only good thing about it, Andre said. The car drove through the silent, shuttered streets of Hadoui Mare and onto a highway lined on either side with barbed wire fence. Sheet metal shacks, ragged tents and dirt entrances to rough earthen tunnels jumbled among piles of rotting animal carcasses and garbage in the crowded plain beyond. The car's filter couldn't keep out the stink. Painanian, Andre said. Ragged people be feared behind the fences, first one and two, then they passed dozens, all kneeling in the dust. People ran to the fence and filled both sides. Pull over, Andre said. Remove my flags from the front of the car. They're giving Painanian false hope. The limousine and the bodyguard vans pulled over to the side of the road. The driver got out to remove the pennants on the front of the limousine. The living dead held up beseeching hands. Their cries and hisses swarmed the car. All the gods! It's Captain Gonje! Andre hopped out. Get back in here, John yelled. Andre's guards jumped from their cars and surrounded him. Andre ignored, it, ignored them and walked up to the fence. He grabbed the filthy hands thrust through the wire and murmured with a shivering, shabby man. You're causing a riot, John yelled. Andre pulled away and got back in. The limousine roared away. That was an interesting conversation. Andre slumped back into his seat. If you get off this planet alive, I'll be shocked, John said. My life's nothing compared to their misery. Andre wiped his eyes with the back of his hand. They drove away from the shanty town through fragrant tropical forests and past yellow fields harvested by large combines. Spacious animal barns and pens surrounded each farm. Lighted coffee plantations crawled around the tops of misty green mountains. Why, why is the coffee plantation lit up? Anne asked. The unusual cold and not enough light this time of year, Andre said. A lot of coffee has been lost due to the low temperatures. Another disaster coming on the heels of the prolonged drought around the desert and the, the new volcanic eruptions. Many say the gods are angry. Natural disasters and the actions of people aren't related, at least if they're not environmental, Anne said. First sensible religious rambling I've heard from you in a long time, John said. I'm not a fundamentalist, Anne pursed her lips. John smirked and she tapped him on the arm. Now children, Andre said. The car rattled through villages. Tall plaster walls covered with ornate, colorful calligraphy lined the edges of the streets behind the squares, with at least one or two empty stores. The peeling paint spoke of better days. The abbey sat by itself in the middle of a poppy-filled meadow. 
The red-tiled roof curled up at the eaves. Red ceramic spiders and silver rope webs swayed from the black corners. A golden, a wooden gate opened in front of them, and the limousine bumped across gray cobblestones to a round black door, where a red-robed nun knelt. The car stopped, and they got out. The nun rose and salaamed at Andre's gesture, and led them through the door to a large flagstone anteroom that opened into a cloister with a naked, pebbled courtyard. A large moon-dial sat in the center. A sculpture of a hag leaned over it. Cobwebs covered the statue and hung from the arches. Andre and the nun knelt for a moment before the idol. Jigrit lemo kron shem, Andre salamed. Translating, Demeter said through Anne and John's handhelds, I greet you, grandmother, holy crone. I got most of it, John said. Thanks, Anne said. They moved down a hall and into the gardens behind the abbey. Massed bushes perfumed the air. Tiny, glistening, multi-hued bats swooped over the fluorescent flowers. Andre stretched out a finger. A bat fluttered up and hung from it. Put out your hand, John. John put out a finger, but the bats ignored it. Andre placed his hand over John's. His bat moved first one tiny claw over to John, then another. It stretched open rainbow wings and yawned. John grinned. Anne leaned over the flowers, perfectly still, and splayed her fingers. First one bat, then two, then three, hung upside down from her hands, grasping with tiny paws, stretching their shining wings and peeping. They scrunched their little faces like newborn babies. Their large, velvety ears quivered at invisible sounds. She laughed, and they whooshed away. Music and the tinkle of wind chimes wafted through the air. Vampires talked and drank. Some danced on a huge wooden dance floor, while others sat on the grass watching the moons. Couples disappeared into the nearby wood for long periods of time. Almost all the vampires knelt. An old nun, who must be the abbess Lachesis, and several other vampires, probably clan heads or princes, did not. Andre introduced them around. Anne felt shy enough in this congregation of vampires, but everyone also stared at her freckles and red hair. Cover pain on Pulfraser, one of the male vampires, whispered to a female. Demeter didn't need to translate that one. They both smiled indulgently at her. Anne sent them a sour look. Andre walked over to two women who sat on huge green pillows under a panja tree. One suckled the baby. A toddler ran up and drank from her other breast. The other woman was General Curran. The blessings of the holy twins at Salhem, Lady Anne Herod of Clan Curran, Andre said. You're a hard person to track down. The blessings of the holy twins at Salhem, Your Highness, Prince Andre of Clan Bouchon. The woman beside her placed a finger between the baby's mouth and her nipple and loosened it from her breast. Tiny drops of blood and milk mingled on its red lips. She handed the baby to Anne Herod. The little girl said to her mother, Bat, bat. All right, her mother said. They trotted off into the garden. Lovely baby, Andre said. Straight up black hair already. Yes, like all Taunchy's children, Anne Herod said. Andre glanced around. They were alone. Dangerous for even a murmur of that. I'm sure General Toma, your husband, had such hair as a baby. Do the numbers. And Herod ignored the baby's rooting for her breast. I have many times, and cursed Holy Syria for making me fertile before my first blood. Yossi's father's not descended from a moon. Anne realized the baby was in Herod's. She remembered the young private in Herod's bed. How many others? Anne would have said the child was her husband's if she was in such a situation. Not that Anne would ever get herself into such a situation, 
Christianity had good reasons for morals. Toma accepts this, Andre asked. He's married to the paladin's daughter, his future's assured. I didn't send away his concubine, my position's perilous enough. You know the crew of the Mephisto are pain on in. I saw Gonji behind the shanty town fence on the way here. He never got over whipping Tanchi, and it made no difference in the end, and Herod sighed. I must ask you, Andre lowered his voice, will the fleet ever leave for March? I'm out of the loop. Toma tells me nothing. I doubt it. And Herod sneered. The regent says we're at peace. The treaty keeps Lido from our own ships. Pirates have more than we do. I thought so. The military sent no response to my information that the march planned a large attack on Menendek. Andre stared down at Inherit. Tanchi's alive. He escaped months ago and is at large on March. You wish, Inherit studied his face. Nothing I can do about it except wait until the march finishes off. Not like you to give up. What about your son's future? What about yours, you highness? The trees have ears, John said. You know I have no support for anything, Andre raised his voice. Never had, never will. After the wrap of the time threads, I visit the family graves, then return to my exile. Until we meet again, my lady. Andre bowed and walked away from Inherit. The abbess beckoned to them. With wrinkled skin and thin gray hair stretched back in a bun, she stood out among the youth of the other vampires. Anne realized that Lachesis was the first really old vampire she had met. Even the Painonian behind the barbed wire fence had looked young. Menendek seemed a planet full of people around her age. The abbess wore a red habit with the cowl thrown back. A medallion of two moons behind a colored web shone from her chest. She grasped Anne's hand with both of her own. Come away from these foolish men and honor Holy Crone by wrapping yourself in the web of time. She spoke in a heavily accented standard. No, thank you. My religion forbids it. Anne recoiled at the thought of participating in a pagan ceremony. The abbess is not to be denied, Andre said. The chessess waved a hand. I forced no one. She smiled benevolently at Anne. Come watch the moons with me. I suspect that's not forbidden. The abbess led Anne away to a small rise. They settled down on the grass and stared up at the sky. The two yellow moons sat huge in the middle of it. Annuals and Phoebos ride together this year. Annuals and Phoebos ride together this year. A lucky sign, Chessis said. You're an important person. While well, the best predictions come when a person's wrapped, I have looked to your future. Blood moons gives the gift of danger opportunity. The red star novas, a dynasty ends, a dynasty begins. What do you mean? Anne felt someone walk over her grave again. To tell too much can itself change the threads of time. When the moment comes that you understand this prophecy, please, you must remember not only the danger, but also the opportunity. The chessess handed Anne a small scroll of thick paper tied with a red ribbon. A dried red flower sat under the ribbon. Please give this to Gikasonku Tonchi Jiaohao Huang when he needs to understand his destiny. I found this rare red moonflower during one of my walks. Usually they're yellow or white. He is alive, Anne lowered her voice. That's the imperial symbol, isn't it? He's going to be Kuang again? The threads are tangled and out of balance, Lachessa said. At this time, actions can easily break them or reweave them. God gave humans free will. Anne tucked the paper in her pocket. Within the laws that rule fate and the cosmos, 
A dynasty ends, a dynasty begins. The Chessis nodded and handed her another small packet. It moved in Anne's hand. She opened it and saw a tangle of bloodworms. Tuck them in your pocket for when you need them later, Lachessa said, as if they were the vampire equivalent of Grandma's cookies. Ah, uh, thanks, Anne said. The laughter and talking stopped. Silk rustled. Lachessa stood and turned back to look at the abbey. Anne followed her gaze. A tall, thin woman dressed in a black kimono with sprays of moonflowers stood at the door of the abbey. Her red hair was piled on top of her head and held with elaborate jeweled pins. Her dead white face was sharp and disgruntled. The regent. All of the vampires except Lachesis kowtowed. Anne couldn't decide what to do. The regent wasn't her leader, and besides, if she ever met the president of the Peace Alliance, he would shake your hands, because all were equal. It bothered her that John had kowtowed, though he was Andre's spouse. Anne gave a low curtsy. The regent narrowed her eyes. She made the same rising gesture as Tonchi when his men had kowtowed. Her long, black, lacquered nails curved in over her palms. Please rise, our people. The crowd rose and silently watched the regent pace across the garden to the chesses. They faced each other, straight and formal. The blessings of the holy twins at Salhem, holy, grandmother, the regent said. Blessings, great-granddaughter, the Chessis wore a poker face. What brings your esteemed excellency to the abbey after all these years? We feel like the bad fairy not being invited to the party. The regent glanced in the direction of Andre and Herod. Yet our enemies are here. Esteemed excellency, you know you're always welcome here, as are my other relatives and their family. The threads don't have favorites. I've missed wrapping you in them. We haven't missed it. Too bad. I'm the Jiaohao. I wait to advise the Kuang and his regent. You'll wait a long time before you see him again. Lachessis said, I was the first woman to hold the throne of Menende. You disgrace us and make the future difficult for the one who would come after us. How I regret that I once supported you. How dare you, the regent said. Will you make me pay none? Lachessis said. The regent drew in her breath and slowly let it out. Her eyes turned to Anne. Our son would like to meet you. The Kuang? Anne looked around the garden. The regent gave a thin smile. Our son's ill tonight. He couldn't come, though he was invited. I'm sorry. I hope he feels better soon. He will when he meets Kovarpainanpofrisir. Thank you. Anne was sure that wasn't a compliment, no matter how Demeter translated it. We wish you to visit tonight. Mistress Anne's with me. The Chessis laid a hand on Anne's arm. The Kuang wishes to meet her. He cannot be denied. The regent smiled thinly at Anne. I'm sure you'd like to meet him, considering his descent. Tonchi's son, yes, Anne said. The regent twitched and Anne smirked. I must tell John and Andre where I'm going. I'm sure they'll want to come along. Our abbess can tell them, the regent said. I have a prediction for you, the Chessis said. Blood Moons gives the gift of danger, opportunity. The Red Star Novas, a dynasty ends, a dynasty begins. Thank you, Holy Grandmother. The regent's smile was chilling. Anne shivered. Demeter made the hand held in Anne's pocket shake, reminding her that the ship was more than a translator. Anne felt slightly better. The Imperial Guard surrounded Anne and the regent. They walked out of an iron gate at the side of the garden and into the courtyard of the abbey, 
before Anne could say a word. A black limousine drew up, and Anne was bundled inside to the left of the region. Anne shivered from more than the cold. It was a long, silent ride up into the mountains. Perched on a ledge and built into the side of an eroded, extinct volcano, the royal castle loomed over a small valley heavily guarded by a battalion of imperial guards that waved them through numerous checkpoints, very different from the old abandoned castle in the city that lay surrounded by its people. The limousine drove up a narrow road and stopped in front of large steel doors. The doors opened to a line of kowtowing servants. Blue wall hangings couldn't dispel the cold feel of the vast hall. Murasaki swept past the servants and up a set of curved stone stairs. And following, they entered a windowless room of cushions, couches, and a desk. Take her to Maru's rooms. Murasaki gave a wave of dismissal. The guards walked Anne through a series of long, winding halls. They opened a plain wooden door and pushed her in. Hey, no need for that, Anne said. The door clicked and locked behind her. Her eyes adjusted to the gloom. Dark wall hangings, a huge mattress and pillows, a pale man about her age. He wore a pale kimono and sat cross-legged on a rug beside the mattress. He bent over a scroll. His long blonde hair fell forward over his face. The dim light he read by made him shimmer in the gloom like a white cave fish in an underground stream. He ignored her. Jigrit page Konsanungu, Maru, Kuang, and curtsied. Maru glanced up. Menendek, Verpeinanu. Demeter translated. The human speaks Menendek. I only speak a little, esteemed excellency, Anne said. Demeter translated for them. You've brought a handheld in here? Maru put down his scroll and held out his hand. Long black painted nails curved towards his palm. The human women never have that. They kowtow and sob until the guard takes them away again. A translator. Anne put her hand over the computer in her pocket to protect it. His green eyes seemed oddly mesmerizing. His sudden face developed a greedy look. We smell bloodworms in your other pocket. Anne pulled out the package and dangled it in front of him. Maru jumped to his feet. He stared down at her and hissed. Insolent woman. Our head must always be above you. You're like the, you're like the stinking human rhymer. Kowtow, then kneel and feed us. The hell I will, Anne said. The regent told me you wanted to meet me, as in an audience with the apparently famous Cope Pulfrister, not as some slave girl feeding you like you're a baby. Oh, Lady Menendek. Maru claps down to sit on the floor and put his head in his hands. This is the plot. Have me murder you like my father murdered the human women. What? Can't you see? We're blood mad. First she tried to get us to join her perversions. Now she's going to destroy us. Here, and shoved the bag of bloodworms at him. We can't feed ourselves such small things. Maru turned his palms towards her. The nails held him back. Okay, if you don't bite me. Anne dangled a bloodworm near his mouth. Maru grabbed it with a fang and sucked it dry. The bag was emptied. It's no use, he said. I better go then. Anne jumped up and tried the door. Right, it was locked. She glanced at Maru. So pale and skinny. Not good. He licked a blood drop off his lower lip, stood up and opened his arms. Cope, pull Frisher ja. He leered and showed his fangs. Anne pulled her hand held from her pocket. Abbas Lachesis. Scroll fell and rolled over the floor. It distracted Maru. He scrambled after it and picked it up. Red moonflower, he said. My father's alive? Yes, your Uncle Andre's going to rescue him along with my brother and me. Let me go. 
We can't do that. It's too late, Maru said. Demeter, Demeter, Anne called into the handheld. I'm on it, the ship answered. Anne placed the handheld against electronic door lock. High-pitched squeals. Maru held his palms to his ears. The door clicked open. Anne rushed through. No imperial guards. She looked to the left and right. How to get out? She rushed down the hall the way she remembered arriving. All the doors looked the same. She pulled one open. Young, dead women. Young, dead men. Dead humans. Dead vampires. Dead, decomposing bodies. One of them stared back at her. Anne muffled a scream. She held onto the door jam and retched. Mother, not even driven to it. Feeds freely. We live a nightmare, Maru said behind us. Follow us. This is our chance to escape. They've kept us in jail, buried awake. He brushed past her, ran back down the hall, passed his room, slammed open the door, and disappeared down a stairwell. Anne could think of no other alternative. If he turned on her, that skinny monster would get a fistful of martial arts. She ran to the stairwell and headed down. They came to a door at the bottom. Maru shoved it open. An alarm sounded. Great. They ran out into a garden patio at the edge of the ledge. They ran out onto a garden patio at the edge of the ledge. Demeter, we're outside. The alarms are ringing, Anne said. Got you on the GPS in the handheld. On our way, John's voice said. Hang in there, love. One of the stars began to grow. Warning cannon barked in the valley. Demeter ignored them. The ship dodged laser fire. Imperial guards appeared on the patio and surrounded them. It was the end. Stop that racket. Our uncle visits, Meru said. Is this how he's shown respect when his ship arrives? An officer talked into his handheld, and the guns silenced. Demeter landed in the valley at the bottom of the stairs descending from the patio. Quick, before mother's disturbed, Meru said. They ran down the stairs, the Imperial Guard following. Demeter put down her ramp. Andrea and John appeared at the ship's door. Maru grabbed Anne's arm and she screamed. Feed on a guard, esteemed Excellency, Andrea yelled. Be, be quick about it. We return her, Maru said. You can't fool me. You're blood mad. Do it now, Andrea said. Maru dropped Anne's arm and took a young guard by the shoulders. I'm on it. The guard tipped back his head. The Kuang plunged his fangs into the soldier's neck. They all stood in silence and listened to Maru's soft moans like a baby at his mother's breast. A door banged above and the officer's handheld crackled. Finish and leave, esteemed excellency, the officer said. Your mother and her guard come. He shouted to John, shoot a few of us. Andre ran down the ramp to Maru. He placed his finger between Maru's mouth and the soldier's neck. Maru detached with a sucking sound. Another guard caught the soldier as he fainted. The soldier licked the wound and stopped the flow. Anne clutched her arms across her chest. That might have been her. Come on! Andre pulled Maru and Anne up the ramp and into the airlock. John fired a few shots. The ship's door banged closed. Demeter whirled straight up into the sky. Thank you all for listening. And um, as always, if you can't wait until next time to wait for the next part of the podcast, you can go ahead and head over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash forgotten fantasy and get a digital copy of the book for $5. We also stream live video game content, although we are no longer on Twitch. We do stream on YouTube now and it's Gamersological is our channel name. We stream World of Warcraft 
and we also stream Phasmophobia. Those are the two games we've been doing lately. We have Facebook at facebook.com slash forgottenfantasy. Our Twitter is twitter.com slash at gamersological. And as always, I hope y'all take care and good health. Bye-bye now.